Today's sermon text is Luke 2, 39 through 52. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 857. Hear the word of the Lord. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn now to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we need your help this morning. We pray that you would help us to see and savor Jesus fresh in your word today. And now, Lord, would you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For some of you, this, this story may be pretty easy to kind of set yourself in, but others, you may just have to imagine some. But a lot of people over the past several weeks were able to spend time with family. So just, just take a moment and pretend Imagine yourself as a grandmother living in Florida who gets to see her beloved six-year-old grandson for Christmas break. You have been looking forward to this for weeks, maybe even months. He's flying in from Philadelphia and you're headed to the airport to go see him. The way it works with an accompanied minor, you get a, you're able to go past security, go meet him at the gate and you get there and Look with eager anticipation as he gets off the plane. And after that first kind of burst of people, all the people who are kind of scurrying to make their connecting flights get where they need to, you don't see your grandson, but it's okay. He's probably coming towards the end with a flight attendant. And like the burst of people turns into a slow 
kind of trickle of people. And then you watch as the pilot gets off the plane and you still don't see your grandson come off the plane. What kind of panic sets in at that moment? Uh, that's what, what actually happened this past uh, couple of weeks. So on December 21st, Maria Ramos went to her airport, local airport, at uh, Southwest Florida International Airport in Fort Myers because she was supposed to meet her grandson coming in from Philadelphia. She ran onto the plane after that and asked flight attendants hysterically, where's my grandson? I know he took off from Philadelphia, but he's not here. And thankfully, a few minutes after that, he, her grandson called her grandmother and he Somehow was put on a plane not to Fort Myers, Florida, but to Orlando, Florida, and ended up 160 miles to the north of where he was supposed to be. I like, I've, I don't like stories like that. It makes me sad for what happens. It does every now and then make me go like, all my three kids are here. I've made it. We're doing okay. I didn't lose a child from my house to this church. I'm really grateful for that. But all of us at one point or another have, have had that kind of panic moment, right? Uh, you, you have something that you think it's gonna be right here where I know I left it or where I know it's coming. And you have the, the desperation of this thing should be here, but I don't know where it is. This person was right here and now I'm not sure where they went. So many of us can maybe relate to Mary and Joseph about children, about things, about all sorts of things. But have you ever actually felt that way about Jesus? Like you think you know where to find him and what he's like and where to go if you want to meet with him. And all of a sudden it feels like you're not sure that he's there anymore. You feel like you were walking with him and you feel like he's not there by your side. Uh, this morning in this text, we're, you already heard it read for us. We're going to see a few different lessons. We'll, we'll look at some things for parents, some things for kids. But really the, the main point that this story is driving home is this. Jesus is always right where he belongs. He's always right where he belongs in his father's house. And we're going to walk through this text in, in three kind of movements Okay, so we'll, we'll be looking at, kind of at the top, we'll be looking at faithful parents. At the end, we'll be looking at a, a growing son. And we will, for you, those of you who like kind of sermon roadmaps, and if you get discouraged by like, we're spending a long time at this point, are we ever going to move to the next? Just know the second point is the longest point. We'll be looking at Jesus' heavenly Father. We're going to walk through the text in those three movements. And I've been praying this week for for you and for us that as we look to God and his word, that we would... See and feel confidence, thankfulness even, that we know who Jesus is and we know where to find him. Uh, let's turn now just to, to the text, Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open, you can keep them there. We'll be looking at the text throughout our time. But we're going to start by looking at Jesus' faithful parents. And I am cheating. If you were here last week, I read 39 and 40 and then I didn't say Almost anything about them. So I'm going to go back to them this week and, and pull them into this sermon. So last week, the last thing we read and kind of what we read again this morning is verse 40. 
the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Uh, The story right before this one is Jesus as a 40-day-old young boy, an infant. He's brought into the temple. If you remember last week, we saw an old man named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna come into the temple. They find Jesus and they proclaim to everyone around them, all these people who are waiting for the salvation and comfort of Israel, they say, this is the one. This boy is the one who is the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made to our forefathers. And then these couple of verses, verse 39 and 40, uh, it's like a crossfade in a movie. Uh, this is where like the montage goes, where you move smoothly from 40-day-old Jesus to 12-year-old boy Jesus. And you may have lots of questions. What does Jesus do when he's seven or five? Did he ever have really ridiculous questions that he asked his parents and then ask why until he gets to the very end of those? Like the Bible is... Uh, those, those are interesting questions. The Bible is just not interested in that one, though. It gives us what we need. What we need is 12-year-old Jesus here. It is, however, very interested in saying how he got here. Okay, how did Jesus get from 40-day-old 40 40 baby to 12-year-old boy Jesus? It answers this by surrounding verse 39 of growing and wisdom and stature and favor with references to faithful parents, Mary and Joseph. Uh, last week, we even saw this at the beginning of the text. If you, if you have your Bible open, you can just kind of glance up to verse 22 and 23 and 24. All three of those verses, you read some sort of this. They did according to the law of Moses. They did it as it was written in the law of the Lord, as it is said in the law of the Lord. Even verse 39, kind of the first verse from that you heard read today, when they had performed Everything, all the stuff in the temple, they did it according to the law of the Lord. They were turned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. From the very beginning of Jesus' life, he has Mary and Joseph obeying the law of the Lord before him. And then look, if you look at verse 41 and 42, you see the same kind of emphasis. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, the the feast of the Passover was one of the major three feasts that were told in Exodus 23. If you want to go chase that down later, God tells all males, you need to come appear before me. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread there. And uh, kids or youth, I'd love your help here. Kids or youth, love your help here. What is, uh, you've probably heard the word Passover. Raise your hand and just tell me something. About You don't have to tell me about the feast of Passover, but what happened in the first Passover? John Randall. You forgot? That's all right, buddy. Camille? That's right. You put blood on the door. That's what God told the people to do. Right. Do you remember? Does anybody remember why? Jackson? So the angel of death would pass over. That's right. Okay, so here's the story of what happens at the Passover. The very first time you see the Passover is in Exodus 12. And God tells uh, tells Pharaoh, listen, because you've not sent my people, let them go. I'm coming in the very last plague. The thing that is going to make you 
push my people out is that I'm going to come and the firstborn sons in all of Egypt will die. But God makes provision for his people. He says, if you will sacrifice the blood of a lamb and paint that on the door frame and the lintels of your house, then when I come to your house, I will pass over your house. It is a little mind, it's, I, I just reflecting on this, this week, uh, 12-year-old boy Jesus is learning this by watching this over and over, and we would know that one day, long after this, he himself would be the Passover lamb, sacrificed so that the angel of death passes over his people. Uh, but, okay, Camille, let me ask, Camille, I'm gonna ask you another question. Where did you learn about what the Passover is? Who taught you that? I think she's sitting right beside you. Yeah, your mom and your dad. Right, they, you learned this. Jackson, I'm assuming you learned this from listening to Corey preach for many years and probably being taught this at home. You learned this from your parents. Right, so Jesus now, Jesus is a unique kind of kid. Uh, he's fully God, and that comes with some perks. Um, like if you have ever had stepped into a room where something was just broken and you see three children pointing at each other, you have to do investigative work. It's really easy if Jesus is one of those three children. You ask who it is and he's telling the truth. But Jesus wasn't just fully God. We can think that maybe he just kind of had this growing thing where God just kind of infused him with all the stuff he needed to know as he was growing up. But the Bible actually doesn't seem to suggest that. Yes, God, he knows that he is the son of God. He, in this text, declares that. But he also has before him a faithful example of parents walking with the Lord day after day, year after year. We shouldn't forget that his wisdom was gained even by watching faithful parents carry this out. So parents in the room, just very specifically to you, is your example helping your children grow in wisdom in this kind of way? I, I hope that you're doing that in your teaching, at your house, that there are ways in which you pass these truths on. But the, the example here is really on their faithful living in so many ways. We, we want our kids to be taught well, but there's so much that they catch, they're caught rather than taught. So even just think about the rhythms of your life. Are you showing in the rhythms of your life and your obedience about the priority and the worth and the value of following Jesus above all else? About knowing God and walking with him. Uh, if, you, if you're not a parent in this room, many of you, just as we hear testimonies, even as we'll hear a testimony later today, we have faithful parents. And the reason that we can say we were walking with the Lord today is because they were pointing us to Christ. It's not that our parents saved us, but God used them in our life. Used them mightily. To take some time today to give thanks for the faithful example that you have. And even if you're, if you're not a parent, everybody in this room, regardless of you, who you are, you have someone who you have influence in their life. A coworker who looks to you as someone who is doing things with integrity. A student who is looking at you and says, you know what, he does everything well. He works hard. How do you use that influence? 
Are people looking at you and saying, I can grow in wisdom as I follow them? So with, with his godly parents, Jesus is growing. And he goes up into Jerusalem as this 12-year-old boy. And this really brings us to the heart of the story where we learn about Jesus' heavenly father. Okay, so the, the feast of Passover is a feast that lasts seven days. Everybody is coming into Jerusalem for the feast. At the end of seven days, Jerusalem clears out and people go back home. So for Mary and Joseph, that means like an 80-mile trek back, which doesn't sound like a lot to you and I because we drive. For Mary and Joseph, that's like a three- to four-day journey back to Nazareth. And they don't pile into the family minivan or on the family donkey. They're walking with a large group of pilgrims, family members, friends who have come for safety, for, for fellowship on the way there and the way back. And they assume that little Jesus is just running around with his cousins or some neighborhood buddies. You, If you've not experienced, if that sounds weird, stay after church for about 30 or 45 minutes and you will know exactly what that looks like. You can have a conversation with me and ask me, hey, where is Ruth? And I will tell you, I have no idea. I, she is somewhere in the building, probably, or right outside of it. But then there comes that time where it's it's time to, to go back and it's time to make sure the kids are with you. And Mary, likely Joseph, go through the stages of gathering the kids, the, the head on a swivel. They're talking to a friend, but they're kind of looking around to put eyes on where Jesus is. The text says they, they eventually ask relatives and friends, hey, have you seen Jesus? I thought he was with Joseph, but, you know, he's not. So have you seen him? And then by the end of that day, they have asked every last friend and relative. They've searched every last nook and cranny. And they'd assumed that Jesus was with them, but they have to admit now that Jesus is nowhere to be found. So after traveling a day's journey away from Jerusalem, they have to turn back and travel a full day's journey back to Jerusalem. And so they finally, by the time they begin looking, it's been two days. And on the third day of the third painstaking day, they find him. And they find him there in the temple, seated with the teachers of the law, which is probably not all that surprising for, for a Jewish boy growing with religious parents. But finding him in the temple is not surprising. But, but all the people around Jesus, it says that in verse 47, like they look at him and they're amazed. In verse 48, that their, his parents find him and they're astonished. It's not astonishing that Jesus would be in the temple. That makes a lot of sense in so many ways. But, but Jesus is there and he's doing what probably a lot of other people his age, a lot of boys his age and older are doing. They're asking and listening questions. What's amazing and astonishing about Jesus is that he's being asked questions as well. And when he answers it, everybody around him hears him and knows there is something different about this 12-year-old boy. He, he's giving answers that are well beyond his own years, and uh, it's unsettling when you're maybe in your 30s, 40s, older, sitting and saying, he's actually giving answers beyond my own years, too. And so they are astonished. That's why in verse 46 it says there, he's not sitting under the teachers. That's really normal, like for a... a a boy to come and apprentice to learn under. He is sitting among the teachers. 
And even here, he's already taking on the role that we'll see him have throughout the book of Luke. He is teaching. He is proclaiming. And people are responding with astonishment. Uh, again, you, you'll see this in a few chapters in the first uh, sermon of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. This is on your note sheet. The, he gives this sermon and the first response is Luke 4.22. All spoke well of him, marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth or coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Like, they just can't believe that this guy has this kind of knowledge. A few verses later, in chapter 4, verse 32, he's in Capernaum teaching and says, They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. It's just a reminder, Jesus is good. We, we rejoice that Jesus is good, but Jesus is so wise as well. And his teaching that came with authority then comes with authority and understanding today as well. We can hear it. And say, that is true. Amazing. Astonishing. The hard thing for me, and maybe for many of us, is that if you've heard the teachings of Jesus for many years, for most of your life even, it's easy for that kind of teaching to just join the chorus of background noises. You kind of receive it as one piece of information among others. So here's, here's the question. Are, are you continually, like even today, are you amazed by the teaching of Jesus? Or do you approach his teaching just as something for amusement? Are you, like, that's really neat. Or look, look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 14 through 16. This is how the psalmist responds and thinking and what he feels and thinking about the teachings of God, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Like, do you have that kind of delight in God's word? I look forward to it. I accept this. I want this desperately. Or, or does God's word, the teaching of Jesus even, feel more like an Instagram reel or a TikTok that you just say, that is amusing. Flip on to the next thing and then to the next thing without ever letting it actually hit and land and saying, that is what I need. Now, I, I know that I, I read the Bible too and not every time I open it, I don't get like, whew, like a liver shiver. Or uh, I don't walk away just in tears over everything that I read every single day. But, but I do hope. I hope for myself. I hope for you. Make it a point. In, in reading, in hearing, in teaching. Make it more than just like my eyes touched every word on that page and I could go to the next thing. Even now, pray. Pray for ourselves. Pray for yourself that you would marvel at God's word. That he would use it to help you see him afresh. And even if it's not something new, if it's things that you have known for a long time, don't get bored at that. The gospel is news we need to hear today and tomorrow and every day. Preach it to yourself. Don't grow tired of that. And pray that we would, we would be amazed at his good and gracious words. 
So Mary and Joseph, they, they themselves, they hear the teaching, they see Jesus here, and they are astonished. But they have a very human kind of response, a response that we can empathize with. In verse 48, Mary turns to Jesus and says, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And then Jesus responds with some questions of his own in verse 49. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, that's, that's not a question of ignorance. That's not Jesus saying, I need information. Uh, Tim Keller, I think, is helpful here. He reminds us when, when God asks you a question, it's never to give him information. It's to give you information. That's what Jesus is doing here to reveal himself to his parents and to us. Just as he's been asking questions and answering questions from these teachers, he turns to his parents and, and to us and says, I am, I have an utterly unique relationship to God. I, I am related to God not like Moses or David or you and others, but, but in a way that has never happened before. Uh, Professor David Gooding, he captures something of the shock of this, that like there are a lot of ways in which we say Jesus is the new and better Moses, he's the new and better David, he's doing things that we've seen kind of patterns of in the Old Testament. And that's true here, but this is, this is a phrase, this is something that never ever comes up in the Old Testament. He says, uh, so David Gooding says this, in all the long biblical record, not even Moses who had built the tabernacle, not David who had longed to build the temple, nor Solomon who had actually built it, no prophets, no king or commoner, not the most exalted of them had ever referred to the tabernacle or temple as my father's house. The child was conscious of a relationship with God that none had conceived of, let alone expressed. This boy wasn't just like Mozart. He was like, I'm really good at this law stuff. I'm like Moses, but just have a better memory. No, he is himself the son of God. Corey read this earlier in our assurance of pardon. He just says this very plainly in John 10:30. I and the Father are one. But even then, though, that's too much. Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary, they, they don't understand that. It says Mary treasured this up in her heart. It would probably take Mary, it, she ponders this perhaps for decades longer. And one day, though, it's revealed what all this means. And that veil is lifted for those who are in Christ through this word. So while Jesus was an obedient son of Joseph, he is telling us, and we know that he has a Heavenly Father, a Father to whom he owes all obedience, a Father who he is not known just for 12 years, but for all of eternity. He has a home that's not just like back there in Nazareth, like he needs to go home there, but he has dwelt in the Holy of Holies, the place where God's people meet with God himself. He has a mission that's not just, I need to take up the family carpentry business, but I've been sent to accomplish the purpose that the triune God has set forward from all of eternity past. So why did he stay in Jerusalem instead of going back to Nazareth? Because the text says he must be. He has to be in his father's house. 
And so the question for Mary is turn back to everyone who comes in contact with Jesus. Why were you looking for me? And that's not a question just about motivation. Like, what is it that you want to and hope to get out of Jesus? And in this context, it's a question of, it's, it's actually more of an invitation. Why were you looking for me over there? Did, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Didn't you know I was here? Right here? It's an invitation to find him. And perhaps a subtle rebuke if we've been looking for him elsewhere. So friends, if, if you're here with us this morning and you're visiting, if, if you're not a Christian, we are so glad that you were here. We, we count it a privilege to have you joining us on this Sunday morning. And there are a lot of reasons why you may be here. It may be that you were invited by a friend or a family member and you had to say yes. We're glad that that's okay. We're, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Uh, it may be that you're on a spiritual quest to find what's real and true and beautiful in the world. There are a dozen other reasons why you might be here, but whatever that is, we think it is no accident that you are here. And we who are Christians believe with everything in us that this Jesus is the Savior of the world. And he is the only hope in fixing our greatest problem, which is being made right with God, knowing and being made right with him. And here is the good news of the Bible. He does not play hide and seek with us. He is not saying, if you will go on this long spiritual pilgrimage, if you'll go to this particular place, if you'll pay this amount of money, you can find me. He says, I am about my father's business. I can be found here. You can actually know him in his word. You can find and know and trust and worship him. And we, the members of your church, of this church, we would love for you to know and love and find Jesus with us. If you have questions about how that can happen, about how you can know him, please find me after the service. I would love to talk to you. I would love to answer that question for you. How can I find and know Jesus? If you came here with a friend, go to lunch with him afterwards. Ask them what that looks like. Find any Christian in this room. We would love to walk through that with you. But brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever feel like Mary and Joseph? You feel like you knew Jesus was here, like you felt really close to him at one point. But then you wonder, where, where did he go? Maybe you feel tempted to go looking for him in a new place. You have people who say, go to, this is the best like self-help book. You can find them there. You can go watch a host of things that will say, delve deep into yourself, find the authentic you, and you'll just kind of pass Jesus on your way there. He's sitting at the core of your being. But Jesus is not trying to hide himself. He is not constantly reinventing himself. Not like an app on your phone that updates and everything that you knew was there, it's now somewhere else and you have to learn to use it again. No, the old ways, the ways that Jesus has been, the ways that he says he would reveal himself, he is still there. He still turns and says, I am in my father's house. I'm going about my father's business. He's not wandered off, even if it feels like we are prone to wander. So if you feel like you are desperately looking for Jesus, if you feel like you had communion with him and he's gone 
And you think, I need to find something new to fix that. The, the application is not all that new. It's the stuff that Jesus has told us before. Where can you find Jesus? Uh, you're not going to find him like on the latest National Geographic. This is the true, real Jesus. Exposed. Or the History Channel, Channel special. Find him in his word. He actually tells us and reveals to us who he is and what he's like. God tells us if you want to find Jesus, he actually says that he is with his people. Right? That's why we love the promise at the end of the Great Commission. I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with his church as they go about the business of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the nations, to the ends of the earth. And even right this moment, if you want to know where is Jesus, the, the truest, the best answer is that he is in his father's house right now. He is at the father's right hand. There the human Jesus stands interceding now even for you, brother or sister. You who feel like you are lost and like you need to find your way home. He is pleading with the Lord and he is calling to you. You can find him. He has not gone, gone away to a new place. But you can turn and know him in his word. And through his people. And know that he is even now praying that we would find and know him today. Now as the text ends, it comes kind of full circle. We, we started with Jesus growing up from 40 days old to 12 years old. And as we close, you get another kind of two verse summary of the next 18 years of the Jesus the growing boy. And if the first few verses of this passage have particular application to parents the last couple of verses i think have very particular application to kids so kids if uh if you've drifted i i understand but come back here for this point this one is like just not just for you but especially for you because i hope what you see here is that jesus and you remember is that jesus was not just a baby we celebrate at christmas jesus was not just a an adult Jesus was also a kid. He, he was once a kid. So in verse 49, when we read, Jesus went down with his parents and was submissive to him, that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Kids, I hope that you are encouraged in that. And in a few ways, I hope one, you're encouraged that you do see the faithful example that Jesus sets. It's good to see Jesus and even the, the little aside here almost like jesus was submissive to his parents it's not that in this whole story he was a bad boy and then he learned to be a good boy at 12 the whole time he is submitting to his parents and kids that is a way in which you obey the lord it's way of obedience for you is in submitting and trusting and following your parents but beyond just the encouragement of jesus's example i hope that you know that in jesus you have a savior who understands what it's like to be a kid, what it's like to be a child. Uh, I won't say which kid, but I've heard the phrase before in my house, and I'm sure that I said it as a child, nobody understands me. Um, friends, if kids, if, if you feel that way sometimes, you have someone who understands you. Right? You, you have... A savior. Jesus was tempted 
in ways that kids are tempted. And he was, he had questions that kids have. He had to grow into an adult just like kids and youth have to do as well. Here's, here's some encouragement from Pastor J.C. Ryle just thinking through this. Jesus, kids, he has stood in your place. He has occupied your position. He knows your hearts. There is one in heaven at the right hand of God who is exactly suited to be your friend. He who died on the cross was once a boy himself and feels a special interest in boys and girls as well as in grown-up people. Jesus came not just as like 30-year-old Jesus. Plop him down, let him do his kind of salvific work and then be beamed back up. It was God's good plan to send him as a baby who became a child, who became a youth, who became an adult. So wherever you are, kids, adults, youth, know that in Jesus you have one who can feel and sympathize with your anxieties and your concerns and your temptations. Don't hesitate to go to him. Go to him and know that he is with you. And he can carry those things for you if you will give them to him. Now as we, as we come to a close on this brief story, it is worth reflecting some on how unique this story is. Uh, we've got four gospels that God has given us, and it feels like you could pick so many things to share. This is such a different kind of story. Twelve-year-old lost and found Jesus from thirty days old, 30, forty days old to thirty years old. This is this is the only portrait we get, and it's unique in that sense. Uh, but in another way, it's it's not the only time in which people will think they have lost Jesus and they will end up finding him again. It actually happens again in John chapter six, there that the the feeding of the five thousand. Jesus feeds these 5,000, says that those who stayed, they went to bed on one side of the Sea of Galilee. And that night, Jesus decided to take a a stroll on the sea and walked to the other side. So the next morning, everybody wakes up and says, where'd he go? We we thought he was right here. The boats, like there's, the boat wasn't here. How did he get where he went? They go and they look for him and they find him on the other side of the sea. And when they find him, Jesus turns to them and tells them, I'm about my father's business. I've, I'm, I'm still doing what I've been doing. He says, this is the will of my father. Everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The crowds felt that they had lost him. And he's saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm going about my father's business. I'm in my father's house. I'm doing the things I told you I was doing. There is a, another, an even greater time, though, when Jesus was seemingly lost and found. And it would actually take place at another Passover. It'd be about 20 or so years after this Passover where we see Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus would again go up into Jerusalem. And this would be a time when people thought that he would be lost forever. And his disciples would go and look on him dying on a cross. And they would think, we have truly and finally lost him. They talked to each other after the fact, and some of them would say, we had, we had really hoped, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But maybe we were wrong. Maybe, maybe we had looked for the wrong person. But just, it sounds so much like this story. After three days, there are some women who come to a tomb where they expect Jesus to be. 
And they again find that he's not there. And just like Mary turned, like Jesus turned to Mary and said, why are you looking for me? There they find two angels who at the tomb look to these women and say, why do you seek the living among the dead? You know where he is. He's alive. And he's told you where to find him. Friends, this is the good news that is true then and true today, brothers and sisters. Wherever you go looking for Jesus, know that he is right where he belongs. He is today in his father's house. He is going about his father's business. Even at the father's side right now, working for all who would come to him. Let's turn to the Lord even now in prayer and thanksgiving that Though we thought him lost, we can never lose him again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this story. We pray, praise you for the way in which you want to encourage us, even just roles as kids, as parents, as those with influence, as those learning and growing. We pray that you would make us faithful, but we thank you that you don't make us play hide and seek with you. We praise you, Lord, that you tell us where we can find you. And we ask, Lord, that as we look to your word, as we rejoice with your people, as we look to the day when we will be with you, you would give us great joy. And knowing that even today when it feels like you may not be with us, we know that you are God with us, that you are still here. And you have promised to be with your people forever. We thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.